Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the JRPG Report. Report. What a great start. Report. This is episode number 259. My name is Dalton Sooner, and joining me, as always, is my good buddy. Hey, it's Michaela from Team Retrofrog. How's it going? It's going well, my good sir. It's going well, except I, my English, apparently. Uh, I couldn't let you be mushmouthed by yourself. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a week, my good sir. It has been a week. Uh, luckily, we're able to do this show. Uh, had some technical difficulties this weekend that I thought that my computer was dead. Oh, no. But uh, was able to hash that out and get it fixed. So that was nice. Uh, stressful. What happened? Stressful. Um, <laughs> so I was house sitting for a friend of mine and uh, her dog comes into the living room chasing a kitty and is just running around. And I'm like, Natalie, calm down, girl. Calm down. And she just like turns and goes to run another direction and snags my mouse and just yanks it, which takes my tower and just makes it go. Boom, and fall over on its side. So I was didn't in, fall off the table. I hope no, it was on the ground, but still, it fell oh, over. Okay, just boom, and I'm like, shit. Oh. So I went over there and I stood it back up, and I went over to close my game, make sure everything was okay, and it was froze. I was like, all right. Oh. So I turned it off, and I looked at her. I looked at the dog, and I I would never take it out on her because she didn't know what she was doing. So I looked at her and I just went. <sighs> Nelly, I love you so much. And I texted Brandy and I was like, hey, I know you're on your birthday trip, but uh, man, Nelly just knocked my computer. <laughs> she writes, she's like, oh no. I'm like, yeah. So long story short, I went to go turn it back on. It wouldn't turn on. So then it was like, oh no. What, what am I going to do? So I took it apart, did some tinkering took the graphics card out finally got it to turn on and stay on so i put my graphics card back in and i got it to turn on and stay on i'm like okay progress it's not my motherboard because at that point i'm thinking at, at first i thought okay it's my power supply unit it's gonna be 60 bucks six you know 70 bucks then i thought it was my motherboard okay 200 dollars, 300 dollars. well then i get it running and i can't get it to split to display anything on the monitor and then I'm like, oh no, that might be a graphics card problem. That, Ooh. That's a And if it's a graphics card, you're just done. That's such a that's such a bigger hit. <laughs> um so I just kept tinkering with it and I went I slept on it. I didn't get much sleep because I was just so stressed out about it. I was so stressed. Um I'm still stressed out. And it's fixed, but I'm still stressed out. <laughs> but it uh I slept on it. I got up the next day, I did my morning routine, and then I went in there and I took it and I took it into the kitchen and I just tightened every screw that I saw and made sure things were in place. I took out my RAM sticks, cleaned them, put them back in, um, still couldn't get it to load. So I was at the point, I was like, what is going on? So I saw this article on Reddit where it's, the guy said, try loading it with one RAM stick at a time. Okay. So I tried to load it up with just one RAM stick in there. Didn't work. I'm like, all right. So I take that RAM stick out, put the other RAM stick in, turn it on, and it loaded up. 
It took it a Oof. minute. It took it a minute, but it loaded up. I'm like, okay. Ram stick. It's not cheap, but it's not expensive either. Um, so then I thought, you know what? For S and G's, I turned my computer back off and I put the other sticker RAM back in there and turned it back on and it came on. I opened up my BIOS and both of them were recognized. Okay, good. So I'm like, what what is going on? So at that point, I try to log into Windows. It tells me user profile cannot be logged in. Um uh, it's gonna it just it wouldn't let me log in. It gave me an, a user error type thing and then logs me out. I'm like, I know I'm doing the right password. I've used the same password for like two computers now. So I am at my breaking point. I am literally, Mick, literally five minutes away from factory resetting my computer. How are we recording now? So I ended up turning my computer on and hitting F11 on accident, which brought up where did I want to boot from? And I saw that for some reason... Whenever my computer fell over, whatever happened, my computer was now trying to boot from its original copy of Windows, which I migrated Windows over to my SSD. Mm. But I guess there's still shadow remnants of Windows on this other one because it loaded up Windows, but it just had none of the files that it needed to recognize that I was a user or anything. So I booted from my other one and it loaded up like a snap of the finger. Boom. Typed in my password. Boom. I was in and I'm like, okay. So I shut my computer. I restarted my computer again and then opened up my AMD like BIOS thing and went in there and uh, changed the boot order and all of that stuff back to the way it needed to be. And things seemed to be back to normal. Seemed to be. Uh, but it took me all weekend. <laughs> so do you still use your old hard drive in that computer? Yeah, it's one okay. of my it's one of my side drives that I keep games on. Got it. So what must have happened was when it fell, it knocked the SSD loose and then it changed your boot order. That might be it. That might be it because I when I tightened the SSD is when things started to like magically fix some. Yeah. So that sounds That's like weird. the culprit, but think. Ooh. Thank all of the gods of every JRPG ever created that you were able to get it working. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, because I was like, well, not almost, not only am I like in between jobs waiting to hear back from this one job, but now my podcast livelihood's gone. <laughs> oh man, Dude, I was at that point. I was in a bad way. At that point, I would probably just find you a laptop and send it to you because i'm sure i have some kicking around unfortunately the education system is very wasteful with their tech so i have saved many a tech device from the dumpster perfectly good tech device from the dumpster i might add it's 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 ridiculous how much money gets thrown away in education that's sad i know i I have a laptop that i could have resorted to using but dude it is ancient yeah and slow it would have been probably okay for recording but it would not play any steam games it would have played so i i used to run world of warcraft on it on the, okay on the lowest settings and i would get about 18 to 20 frames a second wow <laughs> i was dude when i got my piece <clears throat> here was the deciding factor in me getting like a pc I went and house sat for my friend Dustin, 
Well, him and his girlfriend went to uh, Georgia to go to an aquarium. And I, oh man, I, she, she has a rig, like a PC rig. And I played World of Warcraft. She installed it for me and everything. I played World of Warcraft on Ultra at max frames per second for the first time ever and was like, I can never go back. <laughs> I have since cured myself of the World of Warcraft. Um, I don't play it anymore, but man, it is the reason that I have a, uh, an actual PC now. So I actually tried to play World of Warcraft when I got my Steam Deck originally, which I think was, I think it's been two years at this point. I'm more than sure I got my Steam Deck, my original Steam Deck, which now my buddy has because I broke it and then sent it off to Steam for repair. I had to pay for the repair because I tried to do a self-mod on live stream, I might add. I remember that. <laughs> oh, I'll never live it down. And so I sent it back to Valve. I paid them to fix it, which dented my pocket quite a bit. They sent it back to me, but at that same time, I had actually sold enough handhelds that I had money in the bank to get the 512 with the new screen. And so that was the upgrade I was looking for anyway, and it was on sale. So I'm like, you know what? I'll grab this, and when I get the other one back, I'll just sell it. Yeah. I ended up gifting that to my buddy because he lost his cat, and this cat was like his only son, basically. Like, he's taken such a hit from this cat being gone that he was just, at one point, I, I almost called and had him put on suicide watch. That's how I got when I lost Daisy, dude. If it, yeah, if it, and I... If it hadn't been for uh, Brandy and Daphne showing up and coming back into my life, like, it was, it was rough, dude. Say what you will about animals, and there's a ton of people, like, among his friends and his family that were just like, it's just a cat. No, they are family members. Yeah. Like, they worm themselves into your lives. They give you their unconditional love, except with the case of cats, that's very conditional. But, listen, my dad's dog that I take care of now, like, not that I, I don't do anything bad to him. I love that dog. But if I were going to he would still be undyingly loyal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's like, sad. That's just, yeah. So I know it's going to be a hit when he goes too. So I completely get it. Like animals are family, but I wanted to cheer him up. I didn't want him to go there. So when the steam deck, ah, when the steam deck, gotta be careful. It's a family friendly show. When it came back from repair, I gave it to him. And he's been playing Baldur's Gate 3 on it, and he loves the thing. Nice. That's so, I was going somewhere with that story. World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. I did load it up on the Steam Deck, and I put a couple of mods on there so that I can use the controller. And it actually played very close to Final Fantasy XIV at that point. It was just World of Warcraft. I just, the gameplay is so stale. Compared yeah. to FF14? I mean... Even to me, like Final Fantasy XIV is getting stale combat-wise. Yeah. The last few times I played it, at least. I can actually kind of see that because I keep job switching just to 
liven it up a little bit. And I'm actually possibly pondering trying PvP. I really like PvP. I could never get anybody to play it, but I really enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, glamour pieces coming in with the new patch, which we are going to talk about (coughs) that uh, I kind of want. So the only way to get it is PvP. So I just got to just got to put on my big boy pants and and dive in. Dude, do a daily front line every day and just do them until you win. All you got to do is win one. Get that bonus. Are you looking for wolf marks? Is that what you're going to need? No, I need the crystal trophies. Oh. I don't know what that is. (laughs) I think they instituted some type of like battle pass thing. And I think you get the crystal trophies for leveling up. Oh, okay. So I don't know. That's new. (laughs) Yeah, that's very new. I don't know how new, but it's fairly new. But uh, all right, man, let's get to some uh, some news. And since I know you're excited about this first one, so I'll let you go ahead and take the reins on this one. My good sir. All right. I am going to make every effort not to mushmouth this podcast. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. New trailer for Final Fantasy Life I, The Girl Who Steals Time, shown. There is no final in that sentence, sir. What did I say? You said Final Fantasy Life. Dang it! <laughs> I'm not going to mushmouth my way through. Screw up the first the sentence. The first sentence. <laughs> it's been a week <laughs> It's been a week. It's been a week. Let me try it. Take 10. New trailer for Fantasy Life I, The Girl Who Steals Time, shown. A new trailer for Fantasy Life I, The Girl Who Steals Time, appeared on the official Level 5 YouTube channel. It gave us a closer look at the major mysteries of the game, including a new NPC type called a Strangeling. The game is still expected to be released sometime in 2023 for the Nintendo Switch. You got three months there, level five. In the new trailer, we also saw preview clips of five of the available lives to choose to follow in the game. These are jobs and roles a player can take. The angler, cook, Paladin, Woodcutter, and Farmer lives were shown off. The mysteries of the game were also teased, including Strangelings, which appear to be sentient items that are possessed by human souls. Uh, There is a full trailer on YouTube, and a playable demo uh, was available at Tokyo Game Show 2023. More information on the game and new footage is also expected to appear in a special live stream during this time. Uh, The latest trailer was uploaded on Level 5's YouTube channel on September 16th, 2023, and the game is expected to be released worldwide in 2023 for the Nintendo Switch. Dude, this game looks cute. It looks really cute. Um... I, I, I've always heard that the Fantasy Life games are fantastic. I know there's one on the 3DS. Um, that if you are a fan of Happy Console Gamer on YouTube, um, you have heard Johnny talk about his wife playing Fantasy Life, and she's got like over 300 hours into it. So it's definitely a time sink if you want it to be. 
as far as I understand, there is only one Fantasy Life game on the 3DS. I do have a physical copy around here somewhere. But the only other Fantasy Life game to come out was a mobile game in Japan only. And I heard nothing but great things about it as a mobile game. And it got shut down earlier this year. It's very interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was only going to say the only reason I know that is because I I follow a guy on Twitter who used to be a massive Monster Hunter YouTuber. And he really got into that and he kept tweeting about it. And he lives in Japan, so he's got a Japanese phone, which has a Japanese app store. He reads and speaks Japanese. So he was able to play this game and he tweeted like this sad, somber tweet one day about it shutting shutting down. That's a bummer. I've, yeah. I've noticed an increased amount of mobile games that come out and they're out for like a year or two and then they just get shut down. I know. That's one reason why I don't really mobile game these days. It's, it's interesting to me. Like, surely they're making money. So why? I don't know. It's just, it's just odd. Square Enix has been doing it a lot. They have been, and with like Final Fantasy titles too, on top of it. <laughs> All right. So up next, Level Five has released two brand new trailers ahead of the Tokyo Game Show 2023 for Deca Police, showing off more story content and a walkthrough of an investigation from start to finish. No definitive release date has been announced yet, but in the concept image trailer, players will be getting a better understanding of the plot of Deca Police. The playable guide offers more insight into going through the game. Deca Police follows Harvard Marks, a prodigy detective at Broadstone Police Department, as he investigates crimes in the virtual world of Decasim. Decasim is a perfect copy of the real world, but is filled with the memories of crimes and past and present. Alongside his friends and companions in the special investigation student, Harvard will need to investigate these virtual crimes and engage in RPG-like battles to take down criminals whose malicious intent has transformed them into crime beasts. And if you would like to view this trailer, it is on YouTube. If you search the Deca Police concept image trailer, Level 5's playable guide trailer details an investigation into a crime from the past by using the virtual world of Decasim. The guide reveals how each playable character has their own set or skill set that allows them to unlock witness testimonies, analyze evidence, and piece the crime together to name a suspect. The game was first revealed at the February 2023 Nintendo Direct as a Nintendo Switch game, but was later revealed to also be releasing on Sony consoles as well. Story and gameplay details were extended and revealed at the Level 5 Vision 2023 Suzumi event held in March. Level 5 has booths or had booths at Tokyo Game Show 2023 with a playable demo of Deca Police available for attendees to try out, and Deca Police will come out for the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 5 in 2023. No PC. No PC. Sad. Although, side note, this isn't a JRPG at all, but something I saw when I was looking for news that made me go, oh, cool. Uh, the uh, the Tony Hawk 1 and 2 remasters that they did are coming to PC. And I was like, sweet. Nice. You don't have to emulate it anymore. Yeah. So, I don't know. I like the concept of Deca Police. If they come out with a demo, I totally want to try it out. Yeah, me too. But I don't know if it's on top of my radar, but it's interesting enough that I at least want to try it or at least watch somebody play it. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't put the time in myself, I might like watch a 
let's play while I'm doing something else. Right. Playing Starfield. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right. Ooh. I love me some FF14. So, Dalton, preliminary 6.5 Final Fantasy 14 patch notes mention Stormblood editions. Square Enix revealed the 6.5 Part 1 Final Fantasy 14 patch notes are live and bring up the new Stormblood changes on the way. It goes over the additions for people who own the base game and new content for the free trial. The update also goes over the new quests, activities, Hrothgar and Viera hairstyles, new mounts, minions, and cosmetics on the way as well. Basically, the 6.5 Part 1 patch notes for Final Fantasy XIV reassured us that the free trial includes Stormblood. It also noted the level cap will be at 70 once the update happens. It does note that if somebody is taking part in that demo portion, they will not get to go through any ultimate raids. As for the base game, Square Enix noted Everyone who only owns A Realm Reborn will get Stormblood for free. There will be no need to claim it like people needed to when there was the promotion to get a free copy of the expansion earlier this year. Final Fantasy XIV is available for PS4, PS5, and PC. The 6.5 Part 1 Final Fantasy XIV patch will launch on October 3rd, 2023. The second part won't be available until January 2024. Man, I paid money for Stormblood. <laughs> so did I. Like, man, I should have just waited. But uh, it's a great expansion. That was probably my favorite expansion that they've done. Stormblood? It was Stormblood. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I didn't pay a lick of attention to the story. Ah. Like, at that point, I was just in it for the the world. I was just running around doing quests and exploring. and I really liked the vibe of that area. I still want to buy a house in Kugane. Yeah, me too. And for some reason, that's one of the least populated areas. Like there are actually some openings and some plots on my server for small houses, which honestly, I don't want anything more than a small house. Like start, start crafting, make you some, make you some gold guild, excuse me. (sighs) Yeah, Gil. Now, I have everything I need to start doing that. The only thing I have to do is level my crafters to 90 because they're 80 right now. But I promised myself I wouldn't attempt it until I beat Endwalker because I need to beat Endwalker before summertime. Fair enough. Because then Dawn Trail's coming out, which includes the, the post content, which this is a, an example of. But also... This expansion is making me want to play PvP for the first time because there's some really, really amazing PvP reward glamours that I just want. Yeah. Uh, and we all know glamour is the true end game. Glamour is the real end game, yes, sir. Uh, speaking of Dawn Trail, um, in a recent Famitsu interview looking back on 10 years of Final Fantasy XIV, producer and director Naoka Yoshida, or Yoshi P., mentioned that the team has intentions of continuing support for the game for at least another 10 years. While Endwalker expansion put an end to the Hydaelyn slash Zodiac arc, the upcoming Dawn Trail expansion will start a brand new narrative. Additionally, 
Yoshi P mentioned that putting an end to the overarching Final Fantasy XIV story with the Endwalker expansion might seem short-sighted from a business standpoint since the MMORPGs don't have traditional endings. Here's a direct quote from Yoshi P on the trajectory trajectory of Final Fantasy XIV. We intend to deliver the highest possible level of catharsis with Dawn Trail. This is something that we could only achieve thanks to the story concluded in Endwalker, continuing for over 10 years. I would like to aim to achieve the same goal for the next 10 years. Yoshi P also said that when thinking about the future of the game, he is concerned about how much the Final Fantasy XIV team team should differentiate themselves from what they have created for the past 10 years. However, he also mentioned feeling excited about entering a new creative stage. You know, this always happens to me. I don't Unfortunately, I don't have Endwalker that I remember. But it's always happened. Anytime I read about Final Fantasy XIV, I'm like, man, I should reinstall that. You didn't get to Endwalker? I don't think I bought Endwalker. I don't remember really? if I ever bought it or not. I don't remember. You know what? While you're reading the next one, I'm going to look. <laughs> okay. Oh, real quick. The thing that everyone knows, Final Fantasy XIV is available on the PC, PlayStation 5, and PlayStation 4, and is coming to the Xbox Series X in spring 2024. A paid subscription is required, unless you want to do the uh, the free trial that we were just talking about. Almost kind of sounds like Microsoft is not allowing them to do the free trial on Xbox because if I remember my Xbox MMO experience, not only do you have to have Xbox Live, but you have to pay for the trial. Ooh, that's a double. Yeah, it's a double. Which that's is, why I moved over to PlayStation for all my MMOs. You know what's weird about that is that on the 360, um, they created Xbox Silver almost mm-hmm. specifically for people to be able to have access to the internet if all they wanted to do was play Final Fantasy XIV. <clears throat> really? Like, Xbox Silver let you play certain games online, like, that were required to be online. If a game was required to be online, like an MMO, if you had Xbox Silver, you could you could play those. You just couldn't play, like, Call of Duty and things like that online. You needed Xbox Gold for that. You mean 11, right? Not 14? Yes, I am so sorry. Final Fantasy 11. Yeah. Excuse me. Final, yeah, that Final game Fantasy is 11. still That game is still love going. It. I love it. That was, I have played Final Fantasy XI more recently than I have played fourteen. Really? Yeah. Wow. I heard it's jarring to go back to, though. Like, you can't go from fourteen to eleven. I can, but I I played eleven back in the day. Got it. You know what I mean? And I think that, like, say, if you wanted to ever try it out, just let me know. I'll log in and play with you. Okay. Because I can kind of help walk you through, because there are major differences in the two. Wow. Um, when you play Final Fantasy 11, you'll be like, oh, okay. So 14 took the style of MMO that World of Warcraft was and went from there and made it better because 11, 11, 11 is different. 11. So let's just, let's give an example for a battle. You go into a battle, you pull out your weapons, you go running up to the enemy and you stand there and the enemy stands there and you attack and you build up a little TP your tech points or whatever they were called. You need that to get to at least 100 so then you can use your weapon skill. Now, to use your weapon skill in a timely manner, you need to open up your macro bars. You need to go in there and set up a little macro for your, uh, like, save on Monk if you wanted to do combo, which is the first, uh, not limit break, but, like, your first move that you get that you can use. So you would do, like, uh, slash combo... uh, greater than or no i'm sorry less than 
T greater than. So it would be in the bracket target. And uh, and then you would be able to hit the now this is and then you'd be able to you know hit your button and boom and it would do it. Um, yeah, I know. I can look at your face and see that. Yeah, dude, it's a, it's a lot different. It's a lot different. I think you lost me at macro. Yeah, it, and it sounds like a lot, but dude, like doing the macros like the way I do them. Once you do it one time and you're like, oh okay, and then it's just easy to just go in there and be like, bloop, 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 name it, done. Because it's like two lines of you know slash you know uh slash ws for slash weapon skill space um quotation combo unquote you know quotation again and then the the target thing that i said and like that's it you just need that now what people used to do (laughs) so like for example dark knight had a move called last resort right so people would do their macro for last resort and then they would put in a thing where in party chat it would say cut my life into pieces this is my and then they would do translate text like you can do in 14 and they would do last resort so every time they use last resort it would say that in party chat yeah it was tremendous dude suffocation <laughs> that's the next line right yes no yeah suffocation no breathing don't give a hoot if I yeah, we don't need to go to the rest of this. The rest of the song's vulgar, but yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. The Papa Roach. Um, oh, Papa Roach. <sighs> and there's a move in Pokemon called Last Resort as a normal type move, and it's specifically meant for like Pokemon like Eevee or Chansey. You have to use every other move in your move pool once, and once you do that you can use last resort and it does a crap ton of damage. And because they're normal types, you get that attack bonus as well. And it's very possible for EVs to one shot, like fully evolved Pokemon using it. So what a lot of people do is if they want to make a troll EV, they'll give it two moves, quick attack and last resort. And then the last two spaces are empty. So all you do is quick attack once, last resort, boom. <laughs> and they'll probably put something like an Eviolite on them because that like doubles their defense and special defense. Pokemon can get tweaked. But anyway, back to Final Fantasy 14. Alphino and Alize star in new Final Fantasy 14 tales under the new moon story. Square Enix released the fourth and final Final Fantasy XIV Tales under the New Moon story. And this time, it involves Alphino, Elize, and the Leveire family. A Legacy of Hope features Emiliance, Leveire, the twin's mother, happening across a journal and remembering a past memory of the family together. It is now available on the official site alongside the other three stories. The story begins with the Millians cleaning ahead of an exchange student coming to stay with the family. When she does, she happens upon a desk passed down in the family. Upon looking to see why a drawer is askew, she happens upon a journal that belonged to Alphino, which is when this Final Fantasy XIV involving him and Alizé begins in earnest with a flashback to an earlier time. 
The story then shifts to Alfano as the focus as he's bored and alone after Alizé took off with Louisois and their dog Angelo without him. As a reminder, if you miss any of the past articles, here's a full list of each Final Fantasy XIV tales under the New Moon story released for the 10th anniversary. As Azura Fades, Bringer of Shadow, Bringer of Light, In Storm's Wake, and A Legacy of Hope. Final Fantasy XIV, currently available for the PC, PS4, and PS5. Heck yeah. That sounds interesting. I, I like Alphano and Alice. I do too, and a lot of people don't. I know, a lot of people hate them. I loved, like, <clears throat> Alphano in A Realm Reborn was a bit of a turd. He was annoying in that, yeah, but he's grown on me over yeah. the years. Me too. I think it took Heaven's Word, because... Uh, if you don't want spoilers for Heaven's Word, skip ahead 30 seconds. You end up going on a journey with him. And I think that is really what warmed me up to him because he did a lot of growing up in Heaven's Word because he was, I don't know, he was just taken down at the end of A Realm Reborn, like all the post-content stuff. He felt so responsible for that. And so he took the opportunity to basically just like learn. And now... Oh, he's a well-developed character. I very much enjoy him. I am uh, currently hashing out. So I went to log into the uh, my Square Enix account, right? Yeah. And it tells me I need a one. I need my one-time password. I'm like, oh, okay. <sighs> so I go and I open up the Final Fantasy app, and mm-hmm. it's, I go to log- sign in, and it tells me, "Hey, you need a one-time password." And it says. <laughs> And it's like, use a, use this other app, the Square Enix software token app. I'm like, okay. So I installed that. I don't know why it wasn't installed on this, but I installed it and I open it. And now it's asking me for a registration password that I do not have, that I know of. So now I'm like, all right. <laughs> I guess I'm going to search through my emails. <clears throat> so feel, oh. feel free to keep reading because I know the next one's about Final Fantasy Rebirth and I know you're excited about that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you hatched that out live. <laughs> Yeah, might as well. Uh, it's going to bother me if I don't. No, I know. That's one of those things. All right. Oh, excuse me. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Save data unlocks bonus summons in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Square Enix revealed that players who have previous save data from Final Fantasy VII Remake and Episode Intermission will be able to unlock Leviathan and Ramu summons in Rebirth. Anybody with save data from the PS4 or PS5 version of Final Fantasy VII Remake will be able to unlock the Leviathan DLC Summon. For players who played Episode Intermission in Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade, they will be able to unlock the Ramu DLC Summon. The save data must be stored locally on the PlayStation 5 for these Final Fantasy VII Rebirth Summons to be unlocked. In order to unlock these bonus summons, players must select save data bonus on the main title screen of Rebirth. This will allow the players to unlock the bonuses. Even after they've been unlocked, the summons will still need to be obtained from a certain location from within the game. Square Enix has not yet provided details on the exact location where the summons can be obtained within Rebirth. At the September 2023 PlayStation Showcase, Square Enix confirmed the release date for Rebirth and showed off a new gameplay and story trailer. 
The trailer highlighted iconic locations like Junion and Gold Saucer and revealed new minigames for players to experience in the Gold Saucer. Rebirth was at Tokyo Game Show with a demo and stage presentation for attendees to experience, and it releases exclusively on the PlayStation 5 on February 29th, 2024. The exclusivity phase ends after May 29th, 2024, in which case we hope that it comes to PC, which I don't see why it wouldn't, because Crisis Core and Remake are available on PC already. And then I'll jump into this next one because it's also Final Fantasy. Red 13, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth gameplay details revealed. Today, a preview of Red 13's combat style in the upcoming PS5 game, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, was uploaded on the Square Enix website. All of his basic and synergy abilities were revealed as well as his limit breaks. In Rebirth, Red 13 will be a fully playable party member rather than delegated to being a guest member like he was in Final Fantasy VII Remake. The Square Enix post describes his fighting style as aggressively defensive, effectively guarding against attacks will raise Red 13's vengeance gauge. By pressing the triangle button, Red 13's vengeance mode will then be activated, increasing his speed and attack power. Pressing triangle and vengeance mode will also drain the enemy's health. His basic abilities include Crescent Claw, Sentinel Stance, Sidewinder, and Stardust Ray. His limit breaks include Blood Fang and Howling Moon. His synergy abilities include Overfang, in which Barret launches Red 13 towards enemies, and Barret and Red 13's limit levels are raised. He does Planetary Roar with Aerith, attacks across a wide area and raises characters' limit levels, and he does a Savage Assault with Cloud. He attacks and raises limit levels of Cloud and Red 13. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will be released on PS5 on February 29th, 2024. So, this is why I need to play through the PS5 (laughs) version of Remake, because I want to unlock those summons. Yeah, dude. Rama is always been one of my favorites. And Leviathan. Like, I'll never forget the first time I saw Leviathan in the trailer. Not the trailer, excuse me, the demo for Final Fantasy VIII. Yes. It's just like, whoa, what is this? Super cool, dude. Super cool. Do you remember the demo having much different music than the actual release? Uh, and the the... The music for the demo was actually a lot better than the music they put in the final release. Yeah, I remember there being a few different things that were different about the demo, about that that opening section. Yeah. And that whole thing is, uh, it's not the beginning of the game. It's like, I don't know, about a half hour, hour into it that you actually go and do that mission. Yeah, yeah, because at the beginning of the game, one of the first things that you have to do is go get Ifrit from the fire cavern. And that, yeah, that whole part was skipped. With Quistus. Yep. With the with the teacher. I can't believe she was a teacher and just becomes a part of your actual party, becomes a playable character. Man, that game had so much going for it. It's, oh, it's such a good game. I love Final Fantasy VIII. I know people have their qualms with it. Just the battle system. They tried to do something different with it and ended up not being great. I remember only liking that game because what I ended up doing was I had a Game Shark. It like plugged into the back of my PS1. And I just game sharked myself all the spells, so I didn't have to worry about drawing. Yeah. After that, it was a great game. Man, all right, 
let's uh, okay. Let me take a break from trying to figure all this out. And let me read the next one. All right. <laughs> Back during the September 2023 Nintendo Direct, a new Saga game appeared. Now, a message from the series general director Akatoshi Kawazu offered more insight into what to expect. The message mentions what to expect from Saga Emerald Beyond characters, as well as how people should revisit worlds to get the most out of the experience. To be specific, Kawazu mentioned that people can't do everything at one of the Saga Emerald Beyond's worlds in one trip, suggesting... Visiting them multiple with multiple characters to see how that affects the experience. Here is his uh, full statement about this. By now, you've likely heard that we are finally able to announce the latest entry in the Saga franchise, Saga Emerald Beyond, scheduled for release in 2024. I know that many of you have been clamoring for news of our latest project, and I'm happy to share it with you at last. If this is your first time experiencing the release of a new Saga title, we're glad to have you here with us. Saga Emerald Beyond features a diverse cast of characters and traversing an even more diverse set of worlds, the worlds you visit, and which characters that you visit them with will have a profound effect on the way the story changes. You won't be able to experience everything a given world has to offer if you only visit it once, so I hope that you enjoy making forays into new frontiers with the breadth of the unique characters that we've created for you to enjoy. And these characters are more than just normal humans. We've got mechs, we've got monsters, and we've got even more outlandish races that defy the standard naming conventions. This go-around, we've also got witches and vampires that plus playable characters, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy taking each of them on your journeys. The combat system of Saga Emerald Beyond revolves around linking your characters' actions together to make impressive united attacks. You'll want to utilize all the spells and techniques at your disposal using one of the dozens of retinue formations? Yeah. Okay. Glimmer new attacks and forge new weaponry if you want to tackle some of the tougher challenges in the game that they will pose to you. There's nothing more cathartic than finding the perfect combination of actions to topple a seemingly unbeatable foe that is standing in your way. The Saga franchise has always been known for taking risks and providing experiences you cannot find in any other RPG series. The Saga Emerald Beyond is no exception. Please hold on for just a little while longer as we put finishing touches on the newest addition to the family. We also got to see more of Saga Emerald Beyond and its characters during the 2023 Tokyo Game Show. A new trailer was shown at that event. Saga Emerald Beyond is in development and will head to the Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, PC, and mobile devices sometime in 2024. This might be a purchase. I just, as you were reading that, I know we've covered this game before, but there are so many. You you just yawned it. Now I'm about to yawn. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, sorry. The contagious man. That's my bad. Nah, don't worry about it. Um, I remember playing the original Saga Frontier on PS1, and I just remember how different that game was. And very similarly, depending on who you were playing as at the time, that depend that altered who you can recruit. It altered um how some of the planets were. There were some characters that couldn't go to certain planets and it was just a very unique take on what a, what a JRPG, what any RPG is quite frankly. Um, I remember like the first character I played, his name was red and he basically was a, a common writer. Like he had superpowers and he transformed and he had armor and it was really cool. And I think there was maybe only one other story where you can actually recruit him. 
you couldn't really recruit him any other time. Whereas in other stories in Saga Frontier, you could recruit other main characters. And it, I don't know. It was just it's so interesting. I played through that game multiple times when I was younger. Like if Saga Emerald Beyond is even a fraction of what Saga Frontier was, it's going to be fantastic. Saga Frontier is one of those games that, yeah, is is one that's in my I need to play it sometime list of games. If you do play it, get the remastered version. It's You can find it pretty cheap most of the time on Steam and you'll get updated graphics and music and all that. It's actually one that I really want to play again. Oh, I have because I have it. Saga Frontier. Oh, you have it. Yeah. Well, dang. Yeah. I just searched it on Steam and it's like, oh, yeah, no, you got this already. I'm like, OK, there you go. Steam machine host pick. <laughs> hey, could be. Could be. It's a short. It's a shorter RPG. Maybe the boys would like it. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you want me to talk about Persona, Persona 5 Tactica? Uh, you can, or I can blow through these if you. Well, there's two. There's two, and then there's a there's there's a story that I want to talk about. Uh, yeah, you can go ahead and do this one. I'll do the next two. Okay, sounds good. Atlas has released an English version of Sergeant Morgana's first marvelous tactical training for new recruits for Persona Five Tactica, which showcases the cover system of the tactical RPG. The video can be found on YouTube via Atlas. Persona 5 Tactica is set to release on November 17th for PlayStation 5, PS4, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC Steam. The Repaint Your Heart Challenge DLC pack is also included in the game's Digital Deluxe Edition. And um, I'm hoping, I think that you put this up on Twitter um, because there's a whole bunch of different links to different articles on this particular game. Um... But to me, Morgana's wearing a sergeant hat here, which means she's probably going to act more like Nell in the Advance War series to where Morgana's going to just Morgana's a he. I keep forgetting that to where Morgana is just going to show you how to play. And then this next story, Persona 5 Tactica has sub personas and Velvet Room Weapon Fusion. Atlas announced new details about Persona 5 Tactica that go over what to expect from the game and its Personas and Velvet Room Weapon Fusion. When people go through the game, they'll be able to adjust the Phantom Thieves by equipping sub-Personas to adjust abilities or turn additional Personas into equipment. There are also new screenshots showing enemies like Guarded Geisha, Slimy Shinobi, and Sumo Matan. With the sub-Persona, this is a way to increase the range of characters' abilities beyond normal Personas. Atlas noted that these aid a unit in multiple ways. When equipped, it increases their stats and also provides access to new active and passive skills. As for spare personas, those can be taken to the Velvet Room for fusions in Persona 5 Tactica. You can use these to make a new persona or weapon. With the weapons, these will apparently be stronger than normal ones you buy. Finally, Atlas noted how the difficulty level changes different gameplay elements. When you choose hard, friendly fires turned on. It also means enemies have more attack power and health. And then there's a whole series of screenshots um, available in the Silicon Era article. And they're very cutesy. Pers- it is very cutesy. Um, yeah, they took the they took the, the Persona Q chibi route with this, but 
man, it still has all that Persona 5 charm. Like, just the menus and pretty much everything. Um, and it's a 3D look, but with the Fire Emblem and Advance Wars, you know, the the where you can move is a different color and the highlighted tiles and, like, everything that comes with a tactics-based game, but it's very Persona-y. Um, oh, ho-ho! Persona 5 Tactical will come to Switch, PS5, PS4, Xbox One, Series S, and Windows PC via Steam on November 17, 2023. There will be a day one repaint your heart DLC that adds Goro Okechi and Kasumi Yoshizawa. Ooh, Kasumi. Nice. Yeah. Kasumi, I'm sorry. Yeah, which you're playing Royal right now. I haven't played Royal, but she's unique to that. Yeah, yeah, and I really like her so far. She's a cool character. Nice. So I think this is going to be a Game Pass game, which I just renewed my Game Pass. So I actually renewed it up until February. So this is probably going to be one that I at least try. Does, Um, Does Game Pass offer the where you can get it a year at a time? Yes, but what I ended up doing was I got a three month card on on one of those code websites for thirty bucks, and considering it's seventeen dollars a month, I figure thirty dollars to have me paid up till February is not terrible. Yeah, see, when I do it, I just do it for PC. Yeah, and I don't think they allow. If I remember right, they don't allow PCs to buy a year at a time. I think if you're just doing it just for PC, you have to pay monthly. If I remember correct, well, that's kind of dumb. I might be wrong. Yeah, that's oh. annoying. <clears throat> so no, I have I ended up getting ultimate because I have an Xbox, yeah. which actually has been working out because cloud savings a thing. So I could play the PC version, and then I could, if I want to play it on the big TV, I could play it in the Xbox. I was just having a conversation with my dad the other day. I was like, you know, as much as I love PlayStation. If we upgrade to a new console, we should maybe think about getting an Xbox because then we could just invest in Game Pass and you could play whatever game you wanted. And I could also play whatever game I wanted on my PC through Game Pass. Yeah. So. And then, yeah, call it a day. Yeah. So anyways, moving on. Idea Factory International will release the Switch version of Neptunia Sisters vs. Sisters in 2024 in the West. Woo! As previously announced, Neptunia Sisters vs. Sisters is also coming to the Xbox Series and Xbox One in 2024. Neptunia Sisters vs. Sisters first launched for the PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4 on April 21st, 2022 in Japan, followed by those systems and PC via Steam on January 2020 or January 24th, 2023 worldwide. The Switch version, which features Meho and Anri as exclusive playable characters, launched August 10th, 2023 in Japan. Quick overview of the game for you. While the goddesses were out responding to a distress call from a faraway PC continent, Nepgear and the other candidates were sent to investigate an abandoned laboratory. It was there they found the Ashen Goddess, who trapped them in a deep sleep capsule. By the time they awoke, two years had already passed. The latest smartphone, the R-Phone, dominates the market. Neptune has been missing since her mission to the PC continent, and in the absence of its goddess and candidate, Plan Neptune was ravaged by a strange new phenomenon, the Trendy Outbreaks. Suddenly finding herself robbed of home and family, Nepgear falls into a deep depression. This is a story about finding hope in the midst of despair and the rebirth of a goddess in the wake of destruction. Let me go ahead and tell you, that sounds way more serious than I guarantee this game is going to be. Just looking at the screenshots, it looks like it does not take itself seriously at all. 
Neptune is not a game that takes itself like the Neptunia games. They're hilariously self-aware. Nice. I like how the R phone is the smartphone that Dow needs to market. What what message are they sending there? Yeah, and the trendy outbreaks. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, key features of this game is the combo maker. Make your way around the lands of game industry. Uh, you'll encounter a multitude of enemies, and it's time to fight. Employ combos and chain your attacks together in real time. Take control of the battlefield in unique tactical action battle system. Pull off the Planeptune look with two new playable characters. Throughout the game, you'll discover fun accessories to deck out and customize your party members. Snap a pic in photo mode and use the new manga-style feature to exclusively on the Nintendo Switch release. Play as characters created by two legendary developers, Higurashi from Ryukishi 07 and Shanghai Alice from Zune. From the start, Nintendo Switch version also has two new exclusive playable characters, Maho and Anre. In the wake of the devastation wrought by the trendy phenomenon, the vast majority of the population has turned to the R-Phone for all manner of daily life, including communication. On your journey, connect to the Chirper social network... To take on a variety of side quests put out and those by those in need and earn special rewards. The chirp. Spoiler alert. It gets changed to C later on in the story. <laughs> uh, and on the battlefield, you can have up to three party members out at a time. Match up your team members with a partner for stat increases and elemental bonuses. And the stronger the bond, the better the bonus. There is also a trailer for this if you would like to view that. I'm excited. I love Neptunia games. They're silly. Um, actually, over on the Steam machine right now, um, the fan poll for the next show, uh, the next fan-picked game for the show, uh, Neptunia is winning by two votes, and I am shocked. Is it really? Hang on. Let's see. Fan-picked game poll. What did I vote for? You voted for Avernum Escape from the Pit, which you is okay, because that cha- is also a great game. We're changing it. But Boom. Neptunia, they're just... Man, they're just, I don't know, they're campy, they're hilarious, they're fun. They do have some some serious moments if, you know, if you want them to, ha- like, you know, the story's there if you want it, but, like, when each of the main characters are based off of video game consoles, yeah, like, Neptune is based on the canceled Sega Neptune. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Um, Blonde, uh, B-L-A-N-C. So I've always called her Blanc, but I know it's Blonde, yeah. like French. Um, she represents the Wii because she is the master of Louis. Ah, um, that's the, her uh, Neptune is uh, Planeptune. Um, then you've got Noir, who runs uh, Last Station. Ha! And she's all black, like all black attire, black hair. Um, and then you have Vert, who runs. Is it least box? She the, the one she runs. She's a. Uh, she runs the Xbox one. I just can't. I can't remember. Yeah. The, lean box. Lean box. That's what it's called. Nice. Um, the thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if this is an artistical thing or just something that my brain's done. Um, how do I word this properly for this show? The more powerful the console, the more stacked the character is. Stacked. Vis- uh, visually. Visually. So not like stat wise. No, like like appearance wise. Yeah, like Vert. Got it. Vert is out there, and then behind her is Noir, and then they always make fun of Louis for not having any. 
stats or uh, blonde for not having any stats. Yes, and, <laughs> and uh, she, she gets super defensive and mad about it. It's it's oh. it's hilarious, dude. So the game really doesn't take itself seriously in any way, shape, or form. No, there, like I said, there might be some serious story beats, but like Neptune will talk to you, the player. Really, fourth wall breaking. Yeah, there is no fourth wall. Like <laughs> they nice. They are like. There's times in some of the games where they just like you'll finish a chapter and it'll go to like this little cut scenes type thing that you click through. That's like a. All right. On this next episode of Neptunia News, we're talking about what could possibly happen. And they're doing like a review of what just happened and then like what could possibly happen in the next chapter. And they're like, who's going to know? You better play to find out. And then it goes on to the continues of the game. Wow. It's just they're they're interesting, man. And you know, what's funny is I've heard people say that they're they're sexist games because of the way sometimes the way that like you you know like how women can be portrayed in games sometimes yeah um but this perfect the, example in the the next news story i'm gonna read yeah the 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 creator of neptunia is a woman um who just finds humor in it and she said that if you notice none of the main characters in her games are men like and no, there are no main characters in Neptunia that are dudes. It's all women. Right. She was like w- women power. You know, if you meet a dude, usually they're doofuses <laughs> in some way, shape or form. Um, but like another another quick thing about Neptunia that we can move on is like little Easter eggs that you'll find. And I call them Easter eggs, but they're easy to find. Like there will be a, an NPC on the little overview of the world map thing that you use. And it'll be like you can click on it. And see what they say, and it'll be like, dude in a box. And it's a guy peeking out through a hole in a box, like the boxes from Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'll be talking to you, or like you'll meet a dude whose name is like Snake, and then he'll have a different <laughs> last name, but he looks just like Metal Gear Snake, and he'll just like make some quirk that is some little joke that references Metal Gear. <laughs> it's true. So they, uh, they skirt the edge of being sued. Yes, but at the same time, I don't know if they could get in trouble because it's all parody. No, you can't get in trouble because it's all parody, but anybody playing it knows what they're referencing. Yeah, yeah, you can absolutely, like, you'll know. Like, if you've played Metal Gear and you see that kind of box, like, you know that's exactly what they're referencing, you know? Yeah. All right, what's, all right. what's up next? Uh, Disguise 7. Oh, remember last week when we said this game was coming out in September? It's out. Yeah. Disguise 7, Vows of the Virtuous Review. So this is a review by Junior uh, Miai from RPG Site. And so this is going to be kind of opinionish because this person is doing a review. Um, and it is a little long. I'm going to read through it as best I can. Yeah, just skim it if you want. That's fine. Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I'll probably read it through because I don't want anything to be lost because they, they talk a lot about the game. With any series that manages to reach the point in its life where it can slap a seven next to its title, there may be concerns that the series is just more of the same. Well, there can and should be discussions on whether change is necessary and on what scale, it may be best to work with what you know, changing only what you need based on feedback from previous iterations. Disgaea 7 does just this, keeping the series true to its roots while offering new and inventive ways to break the game over your knee. Disgaea... (laughs) I love that description. I know, me too. 
Disgaea as a series is chiefly about big numbers and breaking game mechanics. As a tradition, Disgaea games not only allow you to destroy any semblance of balance, they welcome it. Disgaea 7 continues this trend, with multiple systems working with one another to provide massive bonus to your 8 EXP, HL, or mana gain. For example, the Dark Assembly allows you to pass bills to, say, gain triple experience or siphon all EXP towards a single character. The Cheat Shop returns, allowing you to modify your resource gain at the expense of other resources. Evilities return and work as they have since the Sky of Five, allowing you to slap as many plus EXP, HL, or mana evilites as you can fit on your roster. All of these systems and more weave together and allow you to funnel as much or as few resources any which way. But all of this is expressly outlined in the demo. Tips and tricks for power leveling units up past level 100 in the demo are floating around the internet. So we'll move on to what the demo doesn't have. The story in Disguise 7 is a surprisingly funny tale about a family, both found and related, coming together against a corrupt government that is bleeding the land dry. The game takes place is in Hinamoto, which is a netherworld version of Japan, and features a primary cast including Fuji, a demon swordsman who is allergic to empathy. No, literally. He vomits blood anytime someone is nice. And... Yeah, go ahead. I know you want to react to that one. <laughs> it's just funny. It is. Oh, it's... you're nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, your hair looks good today. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like the early episodes of South Park where Wendy would come up to Stan. Hi, Stan. And he would just vomit on her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> like very early first season. And he only did that because he was nervous to talk. Uh, anyway, Prekilla is a, an extremely rich weeaboo who loves Hinamoto and its culture, and almost immediately tells on herself, showing that she has a surface-level understanding of the place she loves by mispronouncing words and wondering why old cultural hegemonies like Bushido no longer exist. Uh, Pure, I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Pirilika. Does Paralika. that look great? I think that's right. Paralika. There's a lot of I's and L's in there. Perilika, yeah. Because there's okay, yeah. Uh it is she's a well-written jab at Otaku who claimed to love Japan but failed to understand that Japan, like the rest of the world, is more than the simplistic impression presented in pop media. Like Japan, Hinamoto is not just anime and manga. It's a place with struggles and concerns about everything from employment to wealth and equality, something that Pirilika becomes acutely aware of as the story progresses. Combined with the rest of the cast, Yeyatsu, a puppet shogun installed by a tyrant who is functionally useless, C4, <laughs> an amnesiac thief who snorts gunpowder daily. <laughs> Suizen, a cybernetic weapon that could predict the future, and Higan, a warrior demon who remains undefeated and whose rage cannot be quelled except by sweets. 
and you have a colorful cast of characters that will share all share the limelight and never really outshine one another. Well, the main cast of characters is pretty fun to be around. It's worth noting that this is still a Disgaea game, and Disgaea games have a specific type of humor that is hit or miss depending on who plays it. While there is less of the raw and raunchy humor than I expected, this is the series that spawned an action platformer named Dawn of Operation Panties, dude, after all, you still have more than a little perverted humor inherent to the series. In addition to the main cast, you also have the ability to create your own fighters and customize them how you please. Disguise features a whopping 45 character classes. Wow. With the bulk of them needing to be unlocked via quests. While most of these are returning classes from previous entries, there are four new classes. The Big Eye, which is a demon that excels at lowering stats. The Bandit, a unit that could spawn a treasure chest randomly when defeating an enemy. The Mako a unit that deals damage against male units more easily. Really? (laughs) And the Zombie Maiden, a really annoying monster that can regenerate to life after being killed. Combat and Disguise your standard turn-based tactical fare, with your strike team of units moving and positioning on a battlefield against the enemy. Geopanel squares that affect battle based on objects that grant stats like negative 50 defense or no range attacks are also present, and effectively used in some story stages. One stage in particular featured a long hallway littered with geo panels that prevented ranged attacks, which necessitated strategic movement so that my units didn't get sniped by the enemy who had no such restriction. Some new combat features have been added in Disgaea 4 as well. Hell Mode, which is a super attack that can be unleashed after building up a gauge by fulfilling specific objectives, can be used by the main cast to change the tide of battle. All these effects are game-changing. Higgins, for example, allows her to act twice in one turn, while Yeyatsu's allows him to mind-control enemies for a few turns. Another new feature is Jumbification, which allows a unit to multiply their size and strength and occupy one side of the field of battle. A Jumbified unit not only can strike anywhere on the battlefield in a wide AoE, but it also carries unique effects depending on who you Jumbify. Piralika, for example, has a flat 10% chance to put enemies to sleep upon striking them, while a jumbified Prinny gives everyone the passive Prinny effect, meaning every unit on the field can now be thrown and exploded like a Prinny. Dude. 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 However, while experimenting with the combat changes, I did notice a small problem. Depending on the map background and how many jumbified units you have, a maximum of four, the game can and does experience hitching and FPS drops on PlayStation 5. This is surprising since the rest of the game runs pretty smoothly, even during the combat cutscenes, which tend to have a lot of flashy effects. The music is quite nice to listen to, although you hear the same four battle tracks until you reach chapter 11, which did bother me a little bit. As a good combination of traditional Japanese and modern instruments, one battle track features a dual shamisen and electric guitar piece that sounds extremely sick, for lack of a better phrase. Many sadder cutscenes feature an orchestral backdrop, backdrop centered around what sounds like traditional flutes, which fit well with the narrative theme of the story. Earlier, I alluded to the fact that Disguise 7 revels in breaking the game over your knee via interlocking systems like the Dark Assembly, Squad Formation, and Cheat Shop. In addition to returning systems like those, a new one has been added as well. Item Reincarnation. 
which allows you to transfer properties of one item to another. A sword, fashioned from shoes, will still grant movement speed increases, or a gun, crafted from a consumable, will still be edible, for example. In practice, that means if you find a weapon that comes with a rare passive, you could transfer that down a chain of items and forge some incredibly powerful gear for your team, combining stats in a way that was impossible in the series until now. You have to fully clear the item's item world each reincarnation, but it is well worth doing. All of that is to say that if you liked previous Disgaea games, grinding your levels up to max, performing increasingly higher damaging attacks, and seeing a mass of numbers fill your screen, Disgaea 7 continues that thread and amplifies it further. Combined with genuinely funny dialogue, a pretty good story, and a customization ocean that is as deep as it is wide, you have a game that can hoover up no small amount of time out of your day. More of the same isn't necessarily a bad thing, and Disgaea 7 proves that axiom easily, and this was given an 8. Um, Not bad. Versions tested. It looks like they played the PS5 version, the Nintendo Switch version, and the PC version. I I personally, like from everything that I've played of the Disgaea games, I really enjoy them. I think they're quirky fun. Um, and it's hilarious to do some of the amounts of damage that you can do in that game. Like, absolutely are you, insane. Are you planning on getting this one? Uh... I might if it goes on sale. I still don't have six. Got it. So I need to play through six, but I think before I dive into this one. But So I feel like for me, not having played any Disgaea game at all, this would be a good jumping in point. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you wanted to try out one of the 2D Disgaea games, I would recommend four or five. But if you want to jump in while they, while, like before that or after that, when they've jumped into the 3D, then yeah, I would say just go ahead and grab this one. Yeah. That's, that's, I think is going to be my plan because I've not played any of them. So I feel like if I were to go back and play the earlier ones, I might not appreciate it as much as this more modern one. I don't know. It just sounds, hell, sounds hella fun. It's, I think it's definitely worth your time. Yeah. Um, all right. So <clears throat> Bandai Namco has announced that Sword Art Online Last Recollection will receive a free demo for consoles and PC on September 26th. <clears throat> Additionally, Bandai Namco revealed the opening animation for the game alongside two new playable characters, Yuki and Mito. Embeds for the opening animations in these new editions can be found below uh, in this article uh, for the trailers. Uh, they are on the, the YouTube for Bandai Namco, though. Um, Sword Art Online, <clears throat> geez, excuse me, Last Recollection launches on PS4, PS5, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, and PC on October 6th. And for more information... There are a bunch of other links in this article that you can choose. But if you want to go check those out, definitely go look on YouTube. Um, it looks interesting. But more importantly, well, the one that I've been waiting to read shortly after its 2012 release, Dragon's Dogma quickly garnered a passionate following thanks to the game's mechanical complexity, exhilarating combat, and engaging low fantasy world. With Dragon's Dogma 2 finally on the horizon, each new glimpse at the game reveals a more polished and refined version of what the original 2012 cult classic offered. To get an idea of what new and returning fans can expect from the sequel, Silicon Era spoke with Dragon Dogma Dragon's Dogma 2 director Hideaki Itsuno and producer Yoshiaki Hirabayashi about it. <clears throat> Are the worlds in Dragon's Dogma 1 and 2 linked in any way? And if so... How did creating the narrative for the first game affect that of the sequel? In terms of world setting, Dragon's Dogma 1 and 2 share the same setting. However, they should also be considered different worlds, 
by which I mean both stories share common elements like the Red Dragon, the Arisen, and the Pawns, but they should be considered parallel worlds. From what has been shown so far, the Beastrin are designed as creatures with feline features. What was the motivation behind their creation and their design? When developing dra- the first Dragon's Dogma, I already had the idea of having a pawn that looked like a beast or a lion, similar, similar to that uh, of the character of Leo from the Red Earth game. The idea had been there for a while. The main point wasn't to have a character based on a lion, but I wanted him to have features close to that of a lion. In a recent new Dragon's Dogma 2 footage, uh, the Mystic Spearhand was shown to use a dual-blade spear weapon. How will this new weapon type differentiate itself from others, and how will the movesets be like? There was a lot of very careful planning that went into creating the new weapon type, but the overall idea was to create actions that were not possible for other vocations. For example, Mystic Spearheads can use magic in their offhand. Weapons with one blade requirement simple move, or require simple movements. However, because the duo spear have two blades, and the moves will look very different from other vocations. And of course, it looks really cool. Ooh, I think I know what I'm playing as now. Yeah, right. Uh, the original Dragon's Dogma felt ahead of its time thanks to all of the interesting systems that interacted with each other in meaningful ways. For example, the size of a character could change their stamina consumption and restoration and walk speed. I'm curious if we will see similar old or new systems in the sequel in which ways they have been updated to modern sensibilities and technologies. For the first time in Dragon's Dogma, part of the reason that people might have felt the systems, or excuse me, for the first in Dragon's Dogma, uh, part of the reason that people might have felt the systems were so new is because I wanted to think about an RPG game from the logic and feel of an action game. And we tried to create that from scratch. Things like magic points and different parameters are very standard in RPG games, but I felt that these things didn't really fit into the logic of an action game, so I tried to convert those elements in a way that moving around and doing different actions would feel more as a part of your adventure and within the action. For Dragon's Dogma 2, our team tried to focus on achieving many things that were technologically difficult when we were first developing the first game, and to delve deeper into those ideas. In that regard, the sequel may not include as many things that felt completely new or different, but it will be more polished and enhanced in order to achieve a more immersive RPG and action-adventure for the player. That is our focus with this game. We can't mention all of them, of course, but some of the new expanded systems include the recently shown camping mechanic and the ox carts for fast traversal through the world. Another iconic system from the previous game is the character relationships. One example that many players fondly remember is the role of the Arisen's beloved near the end of the first game and how that story unfolded. Is the character relationship system making a return as well? Yes, the relationship system is still there. It has been enhanced to power it up, and there are also some new elements to add to it. I also personally like the system a lot and consider it one of the hidden themes of Dragon's Dogma. And, yeah, these last two questions aren't too super uh, important. Dragon's Dogma 2 will release for the PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and PC via Steam, but a release date has yet to be announced. So there's one part here at the end where they talk about the uh, linear parts of Dragon's Dogma 1, uh, the Everfall and uh, Bitter, ba- Bitter Black Isle. Um, and so they they asked if they expected to see locations with a similar level of complexity. And it sounds like they didn't want to make those announcements. They said for further elements such as these, we'll have further announcements in the future. Uh, for the time being, they want to focus on people getting an idea of what the concept of the game is. I'm kind of hoping that they don't go back to that route because those were the two parts of the original dragon's dogma that I just would not do because I didn't want a linear floor based experience. I wanted 
the open world. And that was the part of the game that I liked. So I hope that they're focusing more on that for I, this release. I love if you go and look at the uh if you go and look at the Steam reviews for Dragon's Dogma. Yeah. Ever since Elden Ring came out, people all of the, almost all the reviews that I've seen on Steam have been this is Elden Ring before Elden Ring was Elden Ring. You know, and they're not they're not 100% was. wrong. No. The only difference is I played Dragon's Dogma and did not play Elden Ring. <laughs> I have played both and they're they're not far off except Elden Ring is harder. Yeah. No, the only reason I don't play Elden Ring is because everybody's telling me I need to play Elden Ring and I'm being very contrarian because they're calling it a Souls-like and I don't like Souls games. It's the most fun that I've had with a Souls game, and I'm not going to tell you to play it if you're not into those types of games. No, I like my worlds to be a little bit more lively. Fleshed out. Like, I I, I respect the way that they do their games where they just, like, leave the story for the players to figure out through context clues and things like that. But I also like to actually, like, you know, do some quests and learn some things about the world instead of just finding items and reading things and piecing things together for myself. Tell me some of it, you know? Hold, I also like a little. Yeah. I also like going into populated areas versus just having this one whole world that's just dead There's everywhere. There's sparse NPCs here and there. Yeah. I mean, you can argue that Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are like that, but at least they have like populated areas and towns and cities and Stuff like that where you can go to to upgrade yourselves and whatnot. I think if Elden Ring had that, even if they were shanty towns or like barely recovering villages or people just struggling to survive, I would be more into that game than I am now because I just can't. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but I can't see just a landscape of nothing. It's just not my type of game. It's understandable, man. I do not fault you for that. All right, getting into Lively, though, Bandai Namco shared a new story trailer for Sandland, and we talked about this last uh, last report. Uh, this was a new story trailer for Sandland, showcasing the unlikely alliance between Sheriff Rao and Beelzebub, the friend, is it friend prince or fiend prince? Uh, where did it go? My eyes were I don't just remember. There. Uh, I want to say it's the Fiend Prince. Yeah, although it would be even funnier if it was the Friend Prince. <laughs> the Friend Prince. My name Miller. is Beelzebub. Will you be my friend? As they search for a legendary spring in a desert world, Sandland is set to release for PS5, PS4, Xbox, and PC, but a yep. release date has not uh, yet been announced. Uh, there is extended gameplay footage. There uh, is an announcement trailer. There's hands-on impressions. And the new trailer shows more about this world turned into a scorching desert where the greed of the king makes life impossible for its inhabitants by controlling access to water. Sheriff Rao strongly believes another oasis capable of ending the terrible drought is here somewhere. In order to find this legendary spring, Rao knows he cannot undertake this dangerous journey alone and travels to the demon village to seek help. With the consent of the King of Demons, Beelzebub, the friend prince, and his chaperone thief joins Sheriff Rao on their thirstiest adventure ever, <laughs> searching the world for this life-saving spring. 
As they progress in their journey, the group realizes they shouldn't let their guard down as heat and thirst are not their only enemies. General Ari, accompanied by the Royal Army, will pursue them around the world and try to stop them. I'm still curious about this game. Yeah, there's not a lot out there about it yet, but it definitely seems interesting. Just the Toriyama art alone right now is getting me in. That's getting my foot in the door. But I'll have to look at some of the trailers. But I do adore that art style. It's very unique. Let's see what we got so, next. Do you want me to read the next one? Uh, you can if you want. Yeah, sure. Are you still fighting with uh, Square Enix over there? I, I put in a ticket for them to remove the security token from my account because I cannot find the oh. emergency removal thing I need. So, Man, all this just to find out if you have Endwalker or not. I know. And I want to play again. So That's true. It stinks that we're on different worlds, though. Oh, yeah, we are, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, I'm on Famfret. I mean, how packed is Famfret? I, w- I could be convinced to move. Uh, I don't remember it being too packed. I know I'm in an FC on there. I'm actually talking to the girl who runs the FC right now. Oh, yeah? Um, Just letting her know, like, hey, I was going to come back, but this happened. So, uh, but I'll see you soon. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm in an FC, too, and I'm in the Discord for the FC, but I don't know. I don't really participate much. Yeah, I, so. I need to be more active when I mean I'm active when I'm playing. I'm active in the discords and stuff. You know what I mean? But yeah, but that's because I'm very picky with my free companies. Gotcha. Um, I don't care about rating and progression and things like that. I care about like, are y'all people cool? Right. Are we able to just chill and have a conversation and no one gets butt hurt and we can joke around with each other? That's the that's the stuff I'm looking for. Me, you, and Fenris can always start one. That's true. Oh, Fitty. God, I love yeah. Fenris to death. That's how I met Fenris, was uh, Final Fantasy Final Fantasy? Yeah, no, I, I enjoy every conversation I have with that that person. Yeah, Finny is awesome. Like, and uh, Yeah. Yeah, he, me and him have been through a couple FCs together. Oh, yeah? Because we were in one, and then it split into two. Got it. And then that ran for a while, and then we were in a, an FC with a bunch of content creators, but all of them kind of just stopped creating content, so that FC kind of fell apart. Gotcha. Yeah, that happens. It's very hard to maintain a healthy stream lifestyle and think you're getting anywhere. Well, these these were uh, these were podcasts, but yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. They would also gotcha. stream as well. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. No, I don't know. Perhaps coming soon. Uh, Dalton and Mikhailov start a free company. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Me neither. Now, the, the challenge is getting the boys to play. Yeah, good luck. I know. Hey, right, anyway. Uh, Legend of Legacy HD Remastered heads to Switch, PS4, PS5, and PC. I love that 90% of the stories that we read, and I'm throwing out a fake statistic, is all, they're all coming out on Switch. Wait, what was that? Okay. I'm sorry. I heard Switch oh, no. in statistic. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'll, re- I'll repeat. I said, I threw out a fake statistic. I said 90% of the stories that we read are all of JRPGs that are coming out on Switch. I was gonna say, it, dude, it's a, it's a high number. It's yeah. a high number for sure because it's like, I guess Nintendo's always kind of been a, a hotspot for JRPGs. Nintendo and PlayStation, man. It's only recently that PC's been getting the love. Yeah. <clears throat> and thankfully, most of the stories that we're talking about also say that they're coming out on PC. But now, 
there's more incentive for these companies to put PC games out because Steam went and changed the game and put out the Steam Deck. Yeah. And so now now these games should, could come out on PC and people could play them on the Steam Deck like they would play them on the Switch. Anyway. Oh, this is a 3DS game? Yeah. Ooh. NIS America and Furyu announced that a 3DS game is being given a second chance at life. The Legend of Legacy HD remaster will come to Switch, PS4, PS5, and PC. The new version has an early 2024 release window, will have English and Japanese audio options and English subtitles. It first appeared on the 3DS in 2020, 2015, when it originally debuted Atlas handled publishing duties. It almost has saga-like qualities, what with its seven different protagonists and their storylines. You then go through their parts, bringing people in and out of your party when you find they'll be useful, NIS America and Furyu didn't note if there would be any additional features beyond this being an HD remaster. Hold on, let me throw in how selfish that sentence sounded. <laughs> it's like, you, you bring in the people in and out of your party when you find them useful. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't know, it just struck me as funny the way that that's worded. Continue. I mean, isn't that JRPG, pretty much? You I, change yeah. your party members out based on how useful they are? Uh, kind of. You know how many JRPGs I've played with a terrible person in my party because I really like the character themselves? Yeah. <clears throat> but they're... I'm looking at you, uh, Selfie, in Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> oh, Selfie. Great character. Terrible gameplay. See, for me, I struggle to play through a game and be different. Like, for example, Chrono Trigger... Chrono, Marl, Frog, all the time. That's my party. Yeah. And and I only switch out when it's required for the story. But Chrono, Marl, Frog, they always beat Lavos every time. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, the original, uh, Cloud, Cloud Tifa Barrett, every time. I just, I don't know why I can't bring myself to do other other characters. It's just always those three. They always end up... Well, the thing is, when you fight Sephiroth, you have to have the rest of them kind of beefed up. But the last the last boss, One-Winged Angel, always Cloud Tifa Barrett. Oh, yeah, dude. When I when I first originally played 8 back in the day as a kid, um, I wasn't able to beat it because I focused so much on my three main parties. Yeah. That my other three, when they split the party in Ultimasis Castle... Yeah. Uh, my secondary party was... Not prepared. <laughs> Not prepared at all. Did you did you have to leave and grind it out? Uh at that point I couldn't leave. Oh no. So I gave up. Oof. Have you been beaten it since? Yeah, yeah, we beat it for the show. Oh, nice. I didn't know you played for the show. Yeah, that must have gone. That was a me and Ryan game, I believe. Gotcha. Okay. So early Steam Machine. Yeah, it was right when the remaster came out. Nice. That was a good time to play it, too, because for a while, those assets were lost. I think they, like, they say it's a remaster, but I'm pretty sure they, like, redid it from the ground up because the assets were lost somewhere. They were, like, on a computer that, like, the hard drive crashed or something. I don't remember the actual story, but they couldn't remaster the game for a long time because they couldn't find the code for the original. Yeah, they had the... That's why, like, at that... Square Enix presentation, whatever it was, 
when it was like something that Final Fantasy fans have been waiting for for a long time. And I'm like, oh, God, here's another seven. And I heard that. Evos. Mm-hmm. I got goosebumps right now. And my eyes are welling up a little bit. Dude, I almost cried. Wow. Because like, I was like, finally, no pun intended, finally, my, <laughs> my favorite Final Fantasy is getting some love. Because yeah. all my life, people have just pooed on eight. And I will die on the hill that eight is one of the best Final Fantasies. Eight is better than Final Fantasy six. I will fight you about that. That's a great story. Eight's story is fantastic. It's a little muddled there at the end. It gets a little weird. I think yeah. that eight, what they are doing with Final Fantasy seven remake, eight would absolutely benefit from. Yeah, being extended, given more time to flesh out their story. I I don't know. I don't mean to go on a tangent. <laughs> oh no! Listen, eight eight. If when they finish with seven, eight should get the remake treatment next. I agree. I but, think that would be a great, great remake, and I don't think it would be as big as seven. I'm willing to bet you money they would do nine before or ten before they did eight. They probably would do ten before they did eight, which is unfortunate. And 10 is a great game, though. 8 needs a retelling. 8 needs to be redone, I guess, for lack of a better term. Just let's change that draw system. Yeah. Well, I don't even mind the draw system, honestly. I, I am one of the few people who, like, I don't mind the fact that I can really exploit the junction system. Yeah. Okay. I, I like that. true. But yeah. 10 doesn't need it. 10, even like when they did the, the HD remaster, that's all that game needed. Ten is a perfect Agreed. story. You do not yeah, need to agreed. add to it. You don't need to extend it. Like ten is the, in my opinion, Final Fantasy ten is the best Final Fantasy game, and like, that translates to HD very nicely already. Like I don't think that needs to be redone in, at all. No, because that game was beautiful on the PS2. Correct. <laughs> like that game pushed the PS2 to its limits. You know. So. So. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, coming out on PS4, like, I remember being blown away by how they made it look. Mm. So it's like, what else could they really do? I don't know. I don't know. I th- yeah, that game stands well on its own. That would just be like taking Final Fantasy 15 and redoing it. Like, there's no need. Although I would argue that 15 is not great anyways. Anyway, I could go on a tangent because there's a there's a raid in 14 that uses Final Fantasy 8's music. And it's great. Yes. So, like, actually, part of that raid was like the when you get to the area where you can queue for the raid battles, you just get there and you could you don't think there's a connection to Final Fantasy VIII, and then all of a sudden you just you get out of whatever car you're driving and you set foot on the land and you just hear ding 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 ding. Like that overworld music. I, I listen, I will die on the hill that eight's music is better than sevens. Eight's soundtrack is phenomenal. Yeah. It is phenomenal. Not to say sevens is bad. Sevens is still iconic, but eight has a great soundtrack. For sure. All right. Anyway. Back to Legend of Legacy. Sorry to drag this out. Uh, It's coming to the PS4, PS5, Switch, and PC in early 2024. And if you feel like you want to play the game now, 
You could try to find it on the 3DS. Or you can mod your 3DS. <laughs> That's uh, do you want to do you want to tackle Dragon Quest? Absolutely, my good sir. Right. In a recent interview with Famitsu, Dragon Quest creator Yuji Hori was asked about the state of Dragon Quest 12, Dragon Quest 3 HD 2D, and his involvement in the upcoming Dragon Quest Monsters: The Dark Prince. Hori confirmed that the development on Dragon Quest 3 HD 2D and DQ 12 are progressing steadily. He also added that he could not give any informa- new information about Dragon Quest Twelve just yet. Hori's work on Dragon Quest Monsters The Dark Prince involved playtesting and checking the game, and an important part of his job was fine-tuning and fixing the early hours of the game. When asked about the Dark Prince release date appearing at the same time it was announced, Hori said that he didn't want to make up an announcement too early and not be able to give any information for the next few years. Because of the, which is exactly what they did with the other two games that have been mentioned. <laughs> Because of this, he decided to start development of the game, keep it a secret, and reveal it when it was near completion. In regards to Sorrow as the protagonist of Dragon Quest Monsters Entry, uh, producer Kento Yokota requested to use Sorrow and Rose as the main characters for the next game. Hori accepted. Hori added the team had an idea of who they wanted to use as the next DQM protagonist. Some titles reused characters from previous Dragon Quest games, such as Terry and Kiefer from Dragon Quest VI and Dragon Quest VII, respectively. When asked about his involvement in Dragon Quest XII and Dragon Quest III HD 2D, Hori said that his work on those two games is similar to that in The Dark Prince, since he is the creator of the original Dragon Quest III and has an intimate knowledge of the game. He is able to support the development team when they ask to make any changes or additions to it. Dragon Quest Monsters: The Dark Prince will release worldwide on the Nintendo Switch December first, twenty twenty three. And while we're talking about Dragon Quest, I do want to say that I saw a review of that Dragon Quest Die. Uh, the Adventures of Die, the game that the just came out. The mobile one? I don't know if it's a mobile game or if it was a... I don't remember what it was. Uh, but it just, but it didn't get a good rating. Ooh. It said it's not very good. And I was like, oh, that, that stinks. That's I stinks. remember us reading about it a couple weeks ago, but yeah, it. we were skeptical about it. Skeptical about it back then. Um... Before we get into the Like a Dragon stuff, do you mind if I just summarize the Fate Samurai Remnant review? Oh, yeah, dude. For sure. If you want to just... Because uh, I, I, rev- I didn't realize that was a whole review, so we can even cut that if you want. Well, I think I could just read the summary on the bottom, and we can call it a day, and then we'll retreat, retweet it. I'm starting to get mush mouth now. It's getting late. Yeah, it is. Um, we could retweet it. Um if anyone wants to read the full review, but it got an eight on Silicon Era. Uh, the summary being the battle over the waxing moon, which could grant any and all wishes, the waxing moon ritual, the seven individuals seeking their wish or masters are the bears of the ritual. The seven heroic spirits or servants are summoned to this world by their masters. The curtain rises on the battle between the seven masters with their seven service, traverse the city of Edo and become victorious in the waxing moon ritual fight, explore, converse, Many elements are deeply intertwined in this action RPG PC version reviewed. Uh, It combines an accessible story for fate beginners with a simple battle system that's rewarding to master. Back in the early days of Fate Stay Night, was Saber's identity really easy to guess? Fate Samurai Remnant Saber's true name was quite predictable. This game did a great job at altering the reviewer's opinion of existing fate characters. Uh, They wish only bad things on... Arjuna now, his moveset is so tricky that they never got the hang of timing their, uh, I think that's pronounced riposte. Riposte. Yeah, riposte. Yeah. 
Uh, and because they idled a lot in the game, the playtime doesn't accurately reflect how long it takes for one playthrough, but it took them about 40 hours. So I got an eight, which that's good. Yeah, eight's it's good. a good number. Eight is a good number. Yeah, and we've talked about that game a lot, and it did seem pretty nifty. So I'm glad that it got pretty well reviewed. All right. Uh, do you want to tackle the Like a Dragons and I'll bring it home? Yeah. And in fact, when I was looking at them, they were, they were both two versions of the same story. So I'm going to go with Silicon Era's version. Um, okay. The latest issue of Famitsu has revealed that Etsuko the Obatarian and Masaharu Kaito will return in Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, as guest characters. Etsuko, or it's probably Etsuko, uh, Etsuko the Obatarian first appeared in Yakuza 0. Meanwhile, Kaito is a major supporting character in the Judgment series and the protagonist of the Kaito Files DLC expansion in Lost Judgment. Etsuko, uh, also known as the Obatarian, is a beloved side character which appeared in Yakuza 0 and Yakuza Kiwami 2. Spoilers! I'm just kidding. <laughs> and she was brief, briefly referenced in Yakuza Like a Dragon. Her nickname is a portmanteau of the word Oba, meaning middle-aged woman or auntie in Japanese, and Battalion. Uh, how the Obatarian remains the same in Like a Dragon Gaiden as she looked over 30 years prior in Yakuza 0 remains a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> her profile in the latest Famitsu issue mentions her work as a cabaret girl, which, dude, she was actually really good for your cabaret when you first started out in Yakuza 0. Uh, oh, yeah? And her outstanding national karaoke skills. In reference to her being... One of the girls available in the Cabaret Club Czar in Yakuza 0 and Cabaret Club Grand Prix in Yakuza Kiwami 2, as well as her karaoke leaderboard positions in Yakuza Kiwami and Yakuza 6. Meanwhile, fans of Judgment and Lost Judgment will remember Masaharu Kaito as a private investigator at Yagami Detective Agency and Yagami's partner. Uh, Kaito is a former member of the Matsugune, or excuse me, Matsugane family, a subsidiary of the Tojo clan. His profile on the Famitsu issue mentions that it will be interesting to witness how former Yakuza of the Tojo clan, Kaito and Kiryu interact in the coming Like a Dragon Gaiden. Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, will come out November 9th, 2023 for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Windows PC. So, there's a screenshot of, that looks like, is that uh, Majima in that screenshot? Or is that one of the people that... No, that is that is 100% Majima. Oh, yeah, because it says right in the... Yeah, it's Majima. That's before I was going to say, every every uh, time I see the eye patch, I just think Majima. Yeah, that's before he becomes the mad dog. Gotcha. Yeah, because isn't he, like, all properly dressed in suit and tie and everything in Zero? Yeah. And then okay. at the end of Zero, he loses his absolute mind. And you go through this section as him while one of the greatest songs in video game history plays. It's called Rain. R-E-I-G. Okay. So good. Dang. I need to play that game. Well worth your time. I know. I say it every every time we record. There's just there's a list of games I just need to play. But somebody got me playing Starfield. I wonder who that was. <laughs> My bad. No, perfectly fine. I'm having a blast. Uh to be uh to be talked about in the uh next Steam Machine, plug for that show. All right, last uh, last story of the the night here. Persona Three Reload Development Update says Link episodes are time limited. In September 2023, Atlas announced a feature new to the Persona series that will appear in Persona Three Reload for the first time: Link episodes. 
Link episodes occur along with the main story and have been implemented to give players a chance to learn more about the characters that previously weren't focused on very deeply. It is a way to get to know Persona 3 characters who didn't have their own social links. Ryokuda noted Persona 3 Reload director Takuyo Yamaguchi and producer Ryota Nitsuma recently revealed in an interview with Japanese magazine Famitsu and the developers that these Link episodes would be time-limited. The two also mentioned that the development of the game is almost complete. Uh, Producer Nitsuma explained the following about the new Social Link adjacent Persona 3 Reload feature. Link episodes occur as the main story progresses, and if you spend time with the character during a set period of time, the next episode will occur in the next period. If you miss the first episode, you won't be able to see the subsequent episodes. Ooh. Okay. Right. So it's kind of like uh, the the actions that you can do with your parties in Star Ocean games. I forget what they're called, but okay. Private action. Yeah, private action. Okay. That's cool. I wonder how you trigger these it doesn't really show you how you trigger them i think it just you spend time with them and it triggers a story probably similarly to uh in persona 5 when you talk to your confidants if you don't do certain things you're not gonna get certain cutscenes. yeah so they then revealed that the development team is hard at work on the finishing touches realistic lighting and color touch-ups are being worked on as well as localization in order to release the game simultaneously worldwide Yamaguchi ended by reassuring us that the team is confident they will overcome these challenges. Persona 3 Reload will be released worldwide on February 2nd, 2024, and it will be available on PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Series X, and Windows PC. Yeah. <clears throat> That's going to be fun. They're, they're touching up this game a lot. Yeah. And for wait. me, never having played Persona 3 at all, like I'm going in fresh. So I'm, I'm not going to be able to compare this to the original. I'm just going to enjoy it. Oh, I can't wait. Me neither. Oh, February's going to be a month, because then you have that game, and then you have Rebirth. It's a good thing Reload's going to be on Game Pass. Yeah. Too big hitters. I know. Yeah. I, I'm glad I renewed my Game Pass, because I think Reload's going to be on Game Pass. And I already pre-ordered the deluxe edition of Rebirth. So I'm getting my my nice big box, not the Sephiroth statue one, but like the middle the middle ground one. Oh yeah, I'm still a sucker for physical games. I buy digital when I have no other choice. Yeah, I uh, I like to collect physical games, um, but I go digital most these days. Me too, especially because Steam is a thing. But Steam, if I can, dog. yeah, well, Gog. You can have a hard drive at least. Yeah. So Gog's tremendous. I uh, they don't yeah. get enough love. GOG.com. So I think that's all we got, good sir. I yes, think we're is. just wrapping it up with the house cleaning. Time just for some house cleaning. If you would like to follow us over on Facebook, it is facebook.com slash JRPG report. You want to find us over on Twitter, it is at JRPG report. You want to go check out the Patreon and help me pay some bills because I'm between jobs right now. That would be very nice of you and I would very much appreciate it. It is patreon.com slash JRPG report. Get your name read on each and every episode like these wonderful people right here. Jake W. Jordan K. Kularian, Master Loot, Japandi. And the mystery donor. And I would also like to give a shout out to the Steam Machine Podcast, a bi-weekly PC gaming show that me and two of my buddies, Nate and Willie, do 
where we uh, play through our backlog and talk about it. Right now, um, we are playing through Starfield, which we'll be recording in the next couple days. Um, after that, we're doing Spooktober, which is going to be a whole month where we're going to do weekly instead of biweekly, and we're going to cover some horror games. Should be a good time. And like I mentioned earlier, you can join the Discord over there if you would like. Is bit.ly slash TSMP Discord, all capital letters. And uh, join in and make your votes known. You can Anytime a JRPG comes up on one of the lists, just pound that vote button and get it to win, and there'll be more JRPG goodness for you guys to listen to. Like right now, uh, Mega Dimension Neptunia V2 is winning that pot or that poll. So there is that to look forward to. Mick, my good sir, plug your stuff. I'll be brief because it's all the same stuff I've say every report. Uh, Team Retrogue on YouTube, Team Retrogue on Twitter slash X, and I'm in the Steam Machine Discord. RetroHandhelds.gg if you would like to join the Retro Handhelds Discord. And I'm also in the JRPG Discord. Yes. And I am playing Starfield and will be on Steam Machine this week. Yes, you will, my good sir. And uh, mentioning the the JRPG Report Patreon, that is a, or excuse me, the uh, Discord, that is a Patreon perk. Um, that was just something that the, the patrons asked for. So if you join the Patreon, uh, you get an automatic invite over to the JRPG Report Discord as well. So yeah. Uh, until next week then, my good sir, and everyone out there listening to our voices, I need you to do me a mega ultimate shiny fire red solid. Get back out there and level up.